Today's gospel lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 6 and 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I missed you on last Sunday, and I'm very thankful for the presence of Reverend Charlene Allen, who brought the message on last Sunday, a very powerful message. I'm going to ask you now to uh, think about that person in your life who does not know Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to think about that person in your life who at one time may have had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they no longer have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to think about those young people who do not see a need to pray. As a matter of fact, they don't even believe in God. They believe in a high, well, they believe in energy. Uh, they believe in um, astrology. They just don't believe in and the God whom Jesus Christ has revealed. I want you to think about them. By the way, I'll just tell you this. If no names came to your mind, that means that uh, there's a need for you to change the places that you go to, the people that you hang out with, and the things that you do. There's a need to expand your circle so that your circle will include people who do not know Jesus Christ. There's a need for all of us to expand our circle so that people who once had a relationship with Jesus Christ will see the need by virtue of our conversation with them that they still need Jesus Christ. There's a need for us to engage with people who don't even think God exists. As a matter of fact, they have another name for God. There's a need for you and me, you, you, you and I rather, to expand our circles and not be comfortable and so, loving God, as we look at your word today, help us to hear what you would have us to hear. Help us to see what you would have us to see. And then remind us what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. If you were to read the Gospel of Luke, you would pick up right away that Luke does not like rich people. He doesn't like people who have resources. Or, or he thought Jesus did not like rich people. In story after story, in the Gospel of Luke, the rich come out badly. Let me give you, very, let me give you a few examples. The parables in Luke of the rich fool, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. The dishonest manager, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And the rich man and Lazarus, chapter 16 
verses 19 through 31, all highlight the danger that personal wealth, one, easily becomes an idol, and two, can deprive others of what they need. Luke's concern for the proper use of wealth is no mere formal accusation of rich people or a preference for poverty. It is a matter of distributive justice, which means that in God's plan, there is enough for everyone. However, when there are people who hoard what they have, then someone is going to be lacking. So when Luke begins chapter 19 with this introduction, if we did not know the story, and how many of you know the story of Zacchaeus? If I had asked you to sing the song, you would have been able to do it, right? Yes, I'm not going to ask you. Not yet. It's a story that's been told to children in Sunday school classes. Uh, we think that the Zacchaeus story would end up like the other rich people in Luke's gospel, but it does not. It does not. And so because it does not, the question for us today who are so familiar with this story is, what, what, what is this story to reveal to us, to the hearers? And we can ask that question because what we know is that God's word is not static. It is not dead. We know According to 1 Peter verses 24 and 25, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Verse 25, here's the key. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. God's word is alive. And then in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, a very familiar text to many of you, it reads, And I'm going to read from the message, which will begin with verse uh, 12 and then include 13. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. So, we know that today there is a word for each and every one of us in this sanctuary and also for those who are worshiping online because God's word is alive. So, loving God, may the words of my mouth and again the meditation of each heart be open to receive all that you would have us to receive today. Now, let me just share this with you, that as I looked at this particular text, I, I thought initially, so, okay, Lord, what is the word? So let me ask you this question. As you listen to this familiar text, you've read it, you've heard it, where are you in the story? Are you Zacchaeus? Are you the crowd that grumbles? Are you the one standing next to Jesus? Where are you in the story? What we do know about Zacchaeus is that he was a tax collector. And Pastor Shar helped us to see on last week just how popular tax collectors were, right? Pastor, you're being facetious. Yes, I am. 
What we know is that he not only was the chief tax collector and was rich, it's understood that he probably recruited other people to be tax collectors as well. And as a class, the tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews. They represented the foreign domination of Rome. They often overcharged people, you know the story, and pocketed the surplus. They were classified as robbers when it came to rabbinical writings. In the synoptic gospels, they are bracketed with sinners. Just go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. They were not liked at all. They were not loved at all. They were outcasts. They were people that no one else wanted to identify with. They were considered as renegades who sold their services to the foreign oppressor to make money at the expense of their own country people. In her book, Grateful, theologian Diana Butler Bass states that Zacchaeus earned his position by collaborating with Roman authorities and was a traitor to his own people. His neighbors hated him. She goes on to say that this story about the little man who climbed the sycamore fig tree is not just about a little man who climbed a sycamore fig tree. It's, about political, it's a political story. It talks about the system of economic exchange and obligatory gratitude in the New Testament. She says that in his encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus reveals a conflict between the Roman understanding of gratitude and an alternative vision of thanksgiving. It's a confrontation between Jesus and Caesar, represented by Zacchaeus. Since Zacchaeus was a Jew, there was only one way for him to become wealthy. In lands that the Romans conquered, they offered some political positions at auction to local inhabitants. And so the tax collectors were the main agents of the patronage system. It was a good job, but one paid a heavy price. Tax collectors guaranteed that the empire worked and that its benefits reach those at the top. And so I'm thankful for that because sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we continue to have a child's mindset regarding what they say. She says to us, theologian Diana Butler Bass, that when you see Zacchaeus running up the tree, getting ahead of people. That's what he always did. He got in front of everyone. He would be the one who would cheat in class to get ahead. He would be the one who would cut the line to get ahead. But she goes on to say, when Jesus passed the tree, he looked up, and saw Zacchaeus. And because Jesus is able and was able to read hearts, Jesus recognized who Zacchaeus really was. Jesus saw his heart. And she saw that this heart was really in conflict 
with God's kingdom. So let me ask you this question again. As you look at the story, where are you? Are you the Zacchaeus? Are you like Zacchaeus who all of your life you, you, you have acquired stuff because that's the way you're supposed to do it? That's what, like, that's what the American dream is all about, right? Collecting stuff, possessions. Are you like Zacchaeus who you don't see those around you who by your actions are hurt? Are not able to experience what you are able to experience? Enough food to eat, shelter, clothes? Are you the crowd that grumbles because Jesus chose to see someone whom you've been ignoring for so long, the outcast, the invisible, the marginalized, the oppressed? Or are you someone who's standing next to Jesus? So you're able to see as Jesus sees, you're able to hear as Jesus hears. Evangel Heights Church family and friends, let me ask you this question. What have you been hearing this past week? Let me ask you this question. Were you able to hear with the ears of Jesus? Or were you hearing with the ears of those who would suggest that the outcasts are to remain as outcasts? That there are groups of people who should be ignored, who should be denied rights? Recently in Iran, a gay couple, I don't know their names, but they climbed up on a mountain and they jumped off the mountain. They committed suicide because they had been ostracized by the community for being gay. There's a high percentage of suicides among our LGBTQIA youth because of the harassment, because of those who are not accepting them for being people who are made in God's image. As you look at this story, who do you identify with? As I look at the story, I, I find hope. First of all, I want to look at Zacchaeus. 
Although Zacchaeus had his own way of understanding how to live in this Roman-dominated world, although people saw him as an outcast and others may have even seen him as invisible until it was time for them to pay their taxes, Jesus saw him. And his desire to really see Jesus Christ was met. So that crowd that was grumbling, they'll still continue to grumble. But it's the one who was standing next to Jesus, who desires to be like Jesus. I mean, for me, that, that, that's what I'm striving to be. That's, that's what you're striving to be. To be able to see as Jesus Christ sees, to be able to respond as Jesus Christ would respond to the people in this world who are looking in all of the wrong places, in all of the wrong places for life, for hope, for belonging, for acceptance, for a sense of purpose, will know that first and foremost you will find that not in politics, not in positions, not in prestige, not in power, not in finances, but you will find your worth in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. And by the way, our young people need to hear that over and over and over and over again. So here's the questions as we bring this sermon to an end. Like Zacchaeus, do you recognize that although you have a lot of stuff, you do still need Jesus? You need Jesus. Not as a sidekick, but you need Jesus as the center of your life. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as Zacchaeus. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as a member of the crowd. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as one standing next to Jesus. The good news is I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. Jesus sees you. And Jesus knows what your needs are. And Jesus is available to meet your needs. I'm so excited about the fact that Jesus saw me when I was going through life, even as a Christian, going to church every Sunday, volunteering on committees, I knew how to pray. And yet one day, I realized that something was missing. I had the car. I had the income. I had the friends. I had the clothes but something was missing. I was going to church every Sunday. Did I tell you that? I volunteered. Did I tell you that? I prayed. Did I tell you that? And yes, something was missing. And that's when I discovered that all of that stuff that I had was not fulfilling. It was not enough. As I bring this sermon to a close, parents, let me share with you why I think it's important for you to pray with your children. Let me share with you why I think it's important, parents and grandparents, 
why you should read God's word in the presence of your children and grandchildren. Let me share with you why I think it's important for you to bring your children to church and to Sunday school. Because when we find ourselves out there on a limb, those of us who grew up in the church, attended every Sunday, prayed, went to Sunday school. When we become young adults, having chased all that the world says we are to chase in order to be the citizens whom we're called to be, in that midnight hour when we discover that the stuff is not enough, it is the Holy Spirit who will bring to our remembrances the Word of God, the prayers that were prayed on our behalf, and the teachers who taught us. In the story, in the Gospel lesson, Jesus takes the initiative. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the initiative to offer us salvation. And every day, every day, Jesus gives us the opportunity to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our commitment to him and in our love for him. I don't know about you, but what I do know is this. The greatest need right now within the life of the church, the greatest need right now within our families of faith is for our children and grandchildren to know that there is a reality in serving the awesome living God through Jesus Christ. They need to know that Jesus Christ sees them, Jesus Christ loves them, and Jesus Christ wants to be in a relationship with them. And they're not going to learn that on their own. They need to see us model that. So, on this day, here's the question. Will you accept Jesus' invitation to dwell anew within your life? Will you accept Jesus' invitation to be your savior anew? Will you allow Jesus Christ to be your Lord? Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I've just said. We believe that when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives as Savior, he is our Savior. I would suggest to you that every day we must reclaim that reality in our lives. And so as the musician plays softly the summons, let me ask you just to take this moment. Assess your relationship with Jesus Christ. Recommit, may all of us recommit our lives to Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ. Committing ourselves to follow him, to be obedient to him, 
not according to our own way of thinking, but according to his life, his teachings. Which means then, dear ones, that we will go out and tell others about him. We'll begin with our own households, letting our children and grandchildren, our brothers and sisters, our spouses, letting them know that Jesus Christ loves them and desires to have a relationship with them. Jesus asked the question, will you follow me if I call your name? Someone said, and it was our conference superintendent who said this the other week at our charge conference, she said, you know, I rewrote that line. It's not if I call your name, it's when I call your name. Will you follow me when I call your name? That's the question. How will you answer? In these quiet moments, converse with the Lord 